I'm Celine Williams, and welcome to the Leading Through Crisis podcast, a conversation series exploring resiliency and leadership in challenging times. My guest today is Lance Mortlock, who is the managing partner for the EY Energy Market segment and the author of Disaster Proof, Scenario Planning for the Post-Pandemic Future, which explores ways scenario planning can help organizations be more resilient, building shock absorbers at a time of great uncertainty and drastic change. Welcome, Lance. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm really... I have many questions about your book just based on the title. I'm not going to lie to you. But before we jump into any of that, I'm going to ask the question that I start all the podcasts off, which all the podcasts off with, which is um, the name of the podcast is Leading Through Crisis. When you hear that, what comes to mind for you? Um, great question. I, I, I think what a crazy two years has it has been, like living through a global pandemic and then thinking, phew, you know, that was over and, and, and now let's get back to it. And we find ourselves in this situation with the war in Ukraine, which is disrupting all kinds of things around the world. So yeah, like those two things come to mind when you ask that question as it relates to crisis. Feels like there's, you know, one crisis after another and I, you know, I think part of what we'll talk about today is, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, how, let's, how do you prepare for that, right? Well, let's start there. What does that mean? Like, what does that mean? And how do you prepare? Because I, and I want to say, I think you're right. I mean, I, you look in, whether it's a micro or a macro scale right now, if you're looking in organizations, if you're looking in families, if you're looking in communities, if you're looking at the, at a global scale, I don't, in my opinion, I don't care which one you look at it is kind of crisis after crisis. And every time people are like, whoo, okay, I got, I have some breathing room. There's something else in both cases. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause I, when I, when I wrote, when I wrote disaster proof, I, one of the things that I researched was when you go back in history over the last 50 years, um, there are all these like major events that, that happen, whether it's, you know, the OPEC oil crisis, the, you know, the sovereign debt crisis, the tequila crisis in Mexico, and, and that's not a cocktail, it's, it's a real thing that happened. Um, you know, we had the dot-com uh, event that we were all getting geared up to, the global financial crisis, then COVID, now the war in Ukraine. And when you look at all of these things, it feels like they're starting to happen with more regularity. Um, big global events that really disrupt business. Um, <clears throat> and so that was one of the main reasons that I actually wrote Disaster Proof, because I think leaders sometimes struggle with, well, how do I deal with all of this like VUCA in the world? Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And, and that, you know, I'd spent and I have spent my career like working primarily in the strategic space with executive teams, like helping them develop long term strategies and scenario planning is one of these tools that can help, I think, leaders lead through crisis by better understanding the external world. Right. So that that's been fascinating for me. And I've been really on a a bit of a journey of discovery as I wrote Disaster Proof to kind of unpack 
like these big crisis events and how you how you manage through them right and i think your point around you know macro and and micro is valid that there's this uncertainty that happens at different levels like at the global level whether it's a pandemic or something like that climate change you know the situation with china to you know the micro level the industries the, the cities that we work in and what's going on there yeah so i'm i'm curious you were talking about or you mentioned um exec you know i'm saying executives but leaders people who want to be aware whatever you want to call it that that awareness of the world around them is really important um how what does that look like because i think a lot of people and i'm going to caveat why i'm asking this i think a lot of people think well i read uh, harbor business review i read the newspaper you know the online newspaper whatever the newspaper is dating myself here the newspaper um I know everything I need to know. And the implication I got from what you were saying is that's maybe not enough. It's not just that. And correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, I have zero issue if you're like, no, that's all I meant. <laughs> totally fine. But it sounded like it was more than that. And I'm curious, what does that, if it is more than that, what does that look like? What is, how can a leader think about those things on a different scale than reading a newspaper? Yeah. Yeah, like it, it's 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 interesting. I think <clears throat> some of it. So yes, it, I think you need to think about the information that's out there. You know, in the big bad world, uh, at a different level of rhythm and depth and insight. And one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, with the emergence in the last decade of artificial intelligence and all the capabilities that AI brings particularly around natural language processing, which is mm. sort of a subset of AI that helps you look at external data on the internet and uncover key insights based on, you know, algorithms and correlations. There are tools and techniques that like take that information processing in terms of what's going on in, in the external world to another level. And I think that's exactly what we need to do. Because if you just rely on, hey, you know, I'm a leader, I'm reading, reading HBR, and HBR is great, by the way, um, and my newspaper, you know, the New York Times or whatever, um, that only gives you a certain level of information. But, you know, we're talking zettabytes of information that get created on an annual basis. How do you process all of those company reports, social media? Um, like to really drive those insights as humans we have limits we can't do that mm -hmm. so i think there is powerful technology that helps kind of process that at another another level i would say the other thing that's pretty interesting i think i want to i spend a lot of time thinking about analogs to business so yeah. what can we learn from you know other professions whether it's you know, sporting professionals. Like I interviewed uh, a guy last week um, who summited Everest twice. Really interesting to learn from him around dealing with crisis and leadership and what that looks like. 
I've got an article coming out. Um, I interviewed General Petraeus, who used to be the director of the CIA and used to be um, a five-star general in the U.S. military. The U.S. military, as an example, does a really, really good job of situational awareness, understanding the competition, taking that external information processing to another level that I think we can learn from in business. So, you know, that's a long way of saying, circling back to your question, yes, I think we need to take it to a different level. The old ways of sort of gathering information from a few key sources are just not sufficient. How it... So for an individual, is it possible for the for them to do that at this point, to take it to that next level? Or is it more these things will come or figuring out how to use, you know, the natural language processing, the AI that's available to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, a, a, a couple of things for the individual. Um, I think there are tools out there that you can use if you're working in a small company for example or a handful of people in your company there's actually free ai tools that you can leverage um if you're a company obviously you have a lot more resource and capacity to do a lot more um the concepts that i talk about in my book around the use of scenarios and scenario planning are scalable so whether you're a you know, I've worked with organizations and advised, advised organizations of 20,000 people, but I've also worked for non-for-profits where less than 10. And you scale, you scale the solution up and down based on, you know, based on what your capacity and, and resources are. So, yes, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to, I want to kind of, God, I hate the term pivot, not necessarily pivot, but I want to take a step back for a second and ask this question around scenario planning. I think that a lot of organizations and leaders think that they do scenario planning and they don't. <laughs> I'm just going to call it what it is. I, I don't, I think it's often, I don't think people always understand exactly what that means. They have they use the language without necessarily understanding what it is. And because of your one, because you wrote a book on this and because of your experience, could you explain it in how you see it, the experience you've had for those who are like, oh no, but I, I already do this. Cause I guarantee there are going to be people who are listening to this, who are like, I do scenario planning. It's, I know what I'm, we're already disaster proof. And if the pandemic has told us anything, that was not the case. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, there's, um, yeah, it's, a, it, it's interesting. One of the, but I'll get to your question in a second, but one of the, I love uh, a meandering conversation, Lance. You do not, I don't, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Careful what you sign up for. So it, it's interesting. There was uh, one of the things I talk about in the book, because what, what, what you said kind of triggered something in my mind that, Actually, before the pandemic hit three years ago, the World Economic Forum, the John Hopkins University and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation actually ran a future-based scenario planning exercise, a workshop where they got like big thinkers, you can imagine, they brought them together and they said, let's think about the future. What could happen? 
and one of the scenarios was around a pandemic. Okay. And actually, if you go back and you look at that, the outcomes of that session, it's called Event 201, and you can see it online. They, they almost perfectly predicted what would happen and how the world would react. They, you know, they said that there would be a novel coronavirus that would spread from bats to pigs. You know, you can argue whether the COVID came from animals or whether it was manufactured by the Chinese or the US. Let, let's not go there. But, but a virus from bats to pigs, pigs to humans, would spread through international airline travel. The world would rapidly shut down. Economies would be impacted. You know, pharmaceuticals would rapidly try and develop, you know, vaccine on and on and on. And it's, it's what happened, but nobody really listened. So that brings me to, you know, your question around um, everyone thinks they do scenario planning, but what does it really mean? And are they? Um, I think some organizations are like the World Economic Forum. I've worked with big companies like Shell that were doing scenario plan planning back in the 1970s. Um, Rolls-Royce is another great company, British Airways, um, you know, the Port of Vancouver here in Canada. Um, there are many organizations that do it, but the difference is that I think some companies don't do it particularly well and some companies don't do it at all. Um, so there's really a mix out there, I would say, in terms of level of application. Key to success, um, I would say when you're doing scenario planning, if you're thinking about it, is a little bit of research up front to say, what is going on in our world? What are the key levels of uncertainty? What are the key risks? What are the key opportunities? That upfront research is absolutely essential. And then the other thing that I've learned over the years is there needs to be a level of quantitative data attached to it. So if you're gonna think about four different futures, you know one around the impact of climate change, another around, you know, the rise of nationalization in the country, or a third around energy transition, whatever they might be. Backing up each of those futures with hardcore data, I've learned is, is really important because it brings credibility as it relates to thinking about the future and unpacking that, right? Mm. So I think that, I think that's pretty, that's pretty important. Um, I do think that there are organizations out there that, that, that say they do it, but nah, like, are they really going through the engagement process with the leadership team? Are they translating what it means in terms of the strategy? That's important as well. Because fundamentally, like what you're trying to do from a strategic perspective within the organization is you're saying, look, we have a strategy that takes our company from A to B. But what, you know, everybody's got a plan until, you know, they get punched in the face, like Mike Tyson used to say, right? Like, you have to have flexibility in terms of the plan so that if A, B, or C happens, you know, we're ready for that. And that's really what scenario planning is about, stress testing the strategy. Mm. It's interesting because I think there's a lot of times where, um, this is really terrible to say, but I think there's a lot of times where people 
the strategy that they have can't be stress tested because there's a failure point inside of the strategy that has been created. And I think it's less likely to be the case the larger an organization is. But I think when you're in that kind of small medium and, you know, medium up to thousands of people, I don't just mean like 500 people. I think there's a lot of times where the strategy is a failure point. In terms of like, what do you mean? Like in terms so, of the what you're talking about, like scenario planning and then stress testing it with the strategy and, and, you know, kind of running it down and cascading it through that. If yeah. the strategy is not a, a real strategy, if, if there, if it's, you know, what I see a lot of, that's why I was saying smaller organizations, which is like, we have a strategy but they it, they haven't there's no data in it They're, they that hasn't been tested anyway that hasn't been run through anything so when you add a you know scenario planning onto it it kind of falls apart would be my guess in some of those yeah that, 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 yeah i see what you mean there needs to be there needs to be a level of sophistication i think like the strategy itself needs to be a forward looking purposeful here's what we're trying to achieve in the long term, you know, the where to play, how to win, right? Where are we going to play and how are we going to win? And if you don't have that foundation, then I think adding something like scenario planning and future-proofing it, like what are you future-proofing in the first place? I would also say the other thing that is pretty interesting is, you know, I was working with um, a utility company in, in uh out east in in canada and you know for them what was important is like the foundation of the strategy understanding what would stay the same regardless and so for mm -hmm. utilities in canada the big disruption point right now is electrification everyone's buying evs we think ev growth is is going to continue exponentially and so that for a company that transmits and distributes electrons to you know people across ontario understanding different speeds of how that might occur is really important but there's a foundation to their business that stays the same regardless core to their strategy call it and so scenario planning in that case is almost like an accordion it's like well if we squeeze out this way what does that mean what would we do what would stay the same what would be different and if we squeeze in like what would stay the same what would what would be different so the powerful element is what's the central core of our strategy that stays the same and then what are the elements that will flex based on our external understanding of electrification in this example right mm. yeah um i am curious So I'm going to bring it back to an individual leader or executive for, for a minute here. Um, and I know I keep bouncing back and forth, but there, there's a, there's method to my madness because it, you know, I hear that. And I think for an individual leader or, or an executive or someone who recognizes the importance of this, hopefully they all do, but recognizes the importance of this, recognizes that they, that there's an opportunity for disaster proofing for scenario planning for improvement in these ways how 
how can they get this started if there's not like what can an individual do what is their role inside of this to to advocate to start the process to get information together because i think that there's often you know I see this with leadership development, with culture, with kind of the people stuff that I do, which is there's one person who is like, this is very valuable and important. And then they have to somehow take on the world and advocate for it. And I think it's different in when we're talking about scenario planning, disaster proofing, the impact is, is can be significant, especially as the last few years have shown. What can they do? What can they... What does this look like for them as a starting point? Do you have any sense of what has worked or hasn't worked in those situations in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it comes down to creating that burning platform that says, look, if you look at the pace of change, it it is accelerating. Um, okay. Like what's the famous saying? It's something like, you know, the, the, the speed of change today will never be this slow again. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Right. So, so change is accelerating. And I think the trick for a leader is how do you create that burning platform that says, look, our world that we operate in continues to get disrupted. We didn't think the pandemic would happen. We didn't think that the Russians would in invade Ukraine. We didn't think, we didn't think, and it happened. So how do you rally an organization as a leader, as an individual leader, to say change is accelerating and we need to do a better job of managing that change? Because it doesn't matter what industry you look at, like whether it's airlines. Like I, I'll give you an example. I was working with um, a CEO of um, an airport, a major Canadian airport. Uh, and we were talking about airline travel earlier and just how problematic that is in Toronto. Uh, yeah. But I, I was working with this um, to be unnamed leader at an, a Canadian airport. And we were looking before the pandemic at change and uncertainty and developing scenarios. And the interesting thing was um, I challenged the leadership group and said, so what's the worst case situation for passenger traffic? And so this would have been in November, 2019. And the CEO looked at me and he said, well, he said, I remember during 9-11, passenger traffic in North America went down 5%. So I was like, that's interesting. So he said, you know, maybe the worst case situation would be, I don't know, 6%. A percentage point there and so fast forward a year later and we saw airline passenger traffic go down what 90 percent and and the the mindset was like why do we need to plan for that it's never going to happen but it did and and it, you know it's always easier i guess after the fact to say well told you so but um there's this mindset that we get I think caught up in as leaders that um, we, we, we know everything, you know, mm -hmm. we know what's going on. It's never going to be that bad. And we look for data points that reinforce our, our beliefs that we hold, you know, deeply inside of ourselves. And 
I think you have to challenge that as leaders to feel uncomfortable to say, well, in my version of that airline situation or that airport situation, what would happen if we lost 95% or 90% of our business? Um, and that requires a certain type of leader to kind of put that on the table and challenge those norms and those tightly held beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. I love the example that you gave because I think it's really, it's very poignant right now. I mean, I think it's poignant all the time, but we get really stuck in the data points of history. This, this is what, well, this has happened. So then worse than that is this. And with the rate of change and with the unknowns that could happen, all of that can go out the window. And yet it is most of us really struggle to to think outside of that because whether people will say you're, you know, negative, like you're being negative or whatever kind of language you hear when you when you speak up and challenge those things, which definitely happens in leadership meetings. I have witnessed it multiple times, as I'm sure you have as well. Um, it limits, it then limits us to whatever we already think. And I, when we don't, you know, that's saying you don't know what you don't know in a situation like scenario plan, in a situation like what we're talking about, how do you account for that? Because there is a lot of, you don't know what you don't know. And so people revert back to, well, this was the worst case then. So let's add that 1% data point on right now. Cause it can't be worse than that. As opposed to there's a million possibilities when you don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to be, um, I think if you're too unreasonable around thinking about like crazy possibilities, you'll kind of lose, you'll lose people in the process. So there's a balance, I would say, in terms of um, plausibility, probability, possibility, three Ps. Um, and you need to kind of balance that so that when you go into the room and say, hey, look, here are three possible futures that could play out that could impact our organization. You don't, the leaders are like, right, you're just, you're crazy. But the, the flip side is you're too conservative, the 6% passenger airline traffic. And they're like, everybody's like, yeah, like that would be pretty bad, but I can imagine that would happen. And it was way off. Mm -hmm. So the tr trick is, uh, you know, there's a great, American psychologist called Joy Guilford, and she talks about, um, um, you know, how do you um, expand thinking and then, you know, this, this convergence, uh, divergence thinking. And you need to, what I call, from her perspective, she says sort of divergent thinking is around exploring the possibilities. And I think you have to do that enough to wallow in the ambiguity that it feels uncomfortable before you converge on deciding what to do. And, and so as, as leaders, you're trying to find that right balance that, yeah, wallowing in the ambiguity is important, but we don't want to do it forever because we've got a company to run, we've got customers to serve, we've got products to make and so on. So there is a careful balance and it's, it's a little bit art and it's a little bit science, I would say. Um, you know, when you're going through the process. Does that answer your question? It does. And it actually makes me curious. And this is completely hypothetical, I, what I'm about to ask. So the 
the situation you were talking about with the, you know, CEO of the, of the airport, if you had gone in and said, okay, so what happens if air travel falls 90%? Would anyone in that room have been like, that's possible. Let's think about that scenario. Or because it sounds like they would have been like, that will never happen. And there's kind of an, you know, is there a middle ground of saying, well, let's say it's 50%, which gets us closer to maybe planning for the 90% that actually happened. Like, how does that, because I can imagine the faces of the people in that room, if you were to go in and say 90%, what happens then? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. Um, And that's my own learning. Like we we can all, we can all get better, right? As, as advisors, as, as, as professionals. And, uh, you know, I, I am learning to this day, you know, 20, 23 years into my, you know, my consulting career. And I suspect I would have got, you know, a few kind of like, what are you thinking there, Mortlock? Um, And, and, that's where we've got to push and that's where we've got to poke and, and get better to say um, that could happen. And it doesn't mean that we're going to make crazy investment decisions or decisions around our balance sheet to support that because, you know, we, that may not be affordable, but at least we've gone through the leadership thought process to say, we would be in a rough state if that happened and here's what it could mean for our company because part of it comes down to i was working with another company in the us they make components for electric vehicles and i was i was talking to to their board um about kind of worst case best case scenarios um around electric vehicles and the components that they make and and their pushback to me when I talked about, you know, maybe EVs won't get as rapidly adopted in the US as we think was, well, that's not a, you know, it's not, it's not an affordable option for us. There's this affordability piece where you need to be reasonable. Um, so I think we're constantly kind of trying to find like that right middle ground. Yeah. I can imagine that is, I mean, continuous learning is always good. And I can imagine that that is a real challenge of the type of work that you're doing and scenario plan. And that's why I was curious about it because I was thinking, you know, I can see that their balance must be hard to strike. And it is, I think what you said was really important. It's not necessarily about making decisions about a balance sheet or financial decisions based on that you know, let's call it extreme, even though it was real possibility. It's more about an awareness of what could happen so that if slash when it does, you're not completely taken aback because you've only planned for 6%, right? Just as that example. Exactly. And I, and I think the more that leaders and organizations can play in that the potential possible future as extreme as it might be without actually, you know, having implications on financials now, the more that when that comes they're they've at least thought about it. If that comes, so they've, it's at least been in their mind. Um, before we wrap this up, cause we are going to thank you for your time today, by the way, this is super interesting. Um, 
Is there anything that we talked about that you want to emphasize or something we didn't get into that you want to bring up before we get to the end of this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably summarize by saying and, and thinking about the title of, of you know, your, your podcast around leadership and crisis. Um, the reality is that crisis events will keep happening <clears throat> and <clears throat> they seem to be happening with more regularity. So the question that you should be asking yourself is how prepared are you for that next crisis event? And that is a, that is a thinking and in some case an action process. And as leaders, I think it's incumbent on, on, on you and on us to, to challenge the norms, to say, how, how well prepared are we? And, and the danger is that, you know, COVID, we're on the, hopefully coming out the back of that and, and, and you know, really the, the pandemic will disappear. Um, the war in Ukraine hopefully will eventually get resolved and there'll be a negotiated peace settlement and things will return to normal. And the danger is that you get caught in the things are normal. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to run my business. I'm going to lead the way I know how to lead. And, and that's the mistake. I think you have to continue to disrupt your own organization and say, are we prepared? What if, if this happened, what would we do? What is the worst case and the best case situation? And I think if you do that, you'll have a much more tested future-proof strategy that ultimately will help drive your, your organization forward. I think that's a, beautiful place to wrap this up and to end that. And I appreciate that summation um, and also call to action because it is a kind of a call to action there. So thank you for that, Lance, and thank you for your time. Um, we will link to your book in the show notes per usual. Um, but for anyone who's looking to find you, where can they connect with you or find you online? If you visit my website, www.lancemortlock.com, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Thanks for joining me today on the Leading Through Crisis podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, you can find us online at www.leadingthroughcrisis.ca.